The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. I'm happy to be with you each week talking pets. Usually I start out the show with a musing for the week, and my musing for the week is about dog cages. You know, this week I tried to do away with my dog cages. I've always been a firm believer that dogs need their own rooms, thus their cages. Well, in my new house, I said, eh, let me try to eliminate the cages that dogs eat and rest in them and are so used to them. So Wally, who runs to the cage while the other ones are waiting me for me to prepare for the food, and is always the first one to finish, is not really eating. And Morrow, who's afraid of Wally, hides under the new dining room table. Hammy wants to run out the door, but last night I brought the cages back and all is well. So the lesson learned is you can't take the dog from his den. But now let's kick off the show with the weekly countdown. In segment four, we're talking with Dr. Chase Kimmel about his sightings of Florida blue bees. In seg three, Seneca Kruger, a marriage and family therapist, discussed how her foster dog walked 97 days in treacherous conditions to come home to her after being placed with another family. And in Two, in this portion of the show, I dish about celebrity pets and Dr. Fleck discusses pet health conditions that affect you and your wallet and his Flex facts. And in segment one, did you know that June is National Zoos and Aquarium Month? National Zoos and Aquarium Month is celebrated annually to honor the role of zoos and aquariums in conservation, education, recreation, and research. Are zoos and aquariums open to celebrate? So joining us to discuss National Zoo and Aquarium Month is Dan Ash, the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Welcome to the Pet Buzz, Dan. Thank you, Charlotte. It's great to be with you on the Pet Buzz, and thank you for everything that you do to bring animals into people's lives. Thank you. Well, Dan, we see on a daily basis that coronavirus has affected so many human lives, but can you discuss how the pandemic has affected animals around the world? Yeah, the, the pandemic that we're suffering through now has been devastating to our members, zoos and aquariums. We have 240 members in throughout the world, but most of our members are here in the U.S. And and almost virtually 100% of our members have been closed during this pandemic um, and, and as part of the kind of social distancing that, that is being um, enforced here in the U.S. and globally. And and of course, that, that means that the lifeblood of our member organizations is missing. And that's the thing that we call a guest. And, and so when people are absent from the zoo, that means the, the, the revenue that is earned when people visit, uh, member zoos and aquariums is absent. And, and that revenue is the lifeblood for those organizations. So that, uh, they, they still have to operate. So while they're, their, their gates or doors are closed to the public. The facility is far from closed. You know, and it's interesting because people don't realize how costly it is to feed these animals. And, you know, without contributions, without guests, it can be difficult. I mean, you know, even even preparing the diets, from what I understand, 
it's very it's really complicated animal care because normally um you know you would have an animal care staff but because we, you want your staff to be socially distanced uh, our members have had to split their staff into two and three and maybe four groups so that if one group is exposed to the coronavirus you don't lose you don't have to quarantine your whole team and so it's not just changed the um, physical landscape it's changed the operational landscape at our zoos and aquariums and again made operation much more complex and, it, and it's good that you know we're we're talking about this you know i'm going to ask you a very basic question because i really just want our listening audience to think about it and hear it discuss the benefits of zoos and aquariums to our lives i mean not only for adults but for children yeah i think the more we're learning of course you know I think it's really important uh, to have these kind of places in, especially in our big urban settings, because we, we human beings have become urban creatures and we're increasingly disconnected from nature. We don't experience animals the way um, that people traditionally have. And visits also support huge investment in conservation, in nature conservation, which I mentioned previously. And But increasingly what we're learning through science peer-reviewed, published science is that a visit to a zoo or aquarium is good for you. When we're visiting naturalistic uh, exhibits in zoos and aquariums that, that our blood pressure, our cortisol levels, our tension, our energy, our happiness all improve. And so it's not just a fun educational um, philanthropic thing to do. It's actually something that's healthy for us to do. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Chief Executive Officer, that's the CEO of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, Dan Ash is with us, and we're talking about how COVID-19 has affected zoos and aquariums throughout the world. You know, Dan's been telling us how even the animals at the at the zoos have missed us during this time. So, Dan, we still can visit the zoo. We just have to see the animals, see the creatures at these educational institutions in a different way. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Chris, yeah, while while our member zoos and aquariums are closed, you can you can still visit virtually. And so we have a variety of animal cams that are available through our member zoos and aquariums. Some um, some of our members, um, like uh, San Diego Zoo and Cincinnati Zoo are offering online safaris. Um, I was on a Zoom call the other day, and one of the participants in, in the call, who was a mother, was um, heaping praise upon Cincinnati Zoo for their um, daily Facebook Live safari. So she said she gets 90 minutes of peace and work time, you know, while her children are engaged with the, the, the safari at Cincinnati Zoo. And so um, we have a variety, our members have a great variety of online streaming forms of education and entertainment, and you can find them by visiting AZA's uh, website, aza.org, um, and where we have a list of edutainment um, events and um, a whole calendar of events so people can, can find uh, things that are, um, that are exciting and entertaining for them. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I watched some giraffes the other day and had a good old time just, you know, thinking yeah. about them, wondering what they're, what they're thinking, the environment that they live in. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about how zoos and aquariums are missing their lifeblood. And as a result, there's a lot of expenses to maintain. And without visitor donations, it can be very difficult. So how can our audience help? What can they do to support the zoos? 
Yeah, I would say um, the, uh, a couple things that they can do. If they're a member of a zoo, whether it's a national zoo here in Washington, D.C., or Minneapolis uh, Zoo, um, or Texas State Aquarium, if you're a member, maintain your membership during this period of time, even though you can't visit right now. Um, or maybe can't visit the way you would want to visit, um, maintain your membership because uh, that, that, that's a key way to support um, your zoo or aquarium. The other thing is would be to, to make a donation if you're able to make a donation. And any donation is going to be significant and appreciated during this period of time. Even a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars or twenty five dollars. And we recognize that during this time, it can be very difficult. So don't feel bad if you want to stick a dollar in an envelope and donate it to the zoo. It certainly helped. Well, Dan, thank you so much for visiting with us today. You know, we're excited to learn more about zoos going online. I think I'm going to take a little zoo trip this week and visit zoos around the country and see what their animals are up to. There you go. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to find a lot of things that are interesting and exciting, and and you're going to see animals doing the, the, the kind of crazy, wonderful, um, adorable things that they do. Great. Well, everyone, that was Dan Ash, the Chief Executive Officer of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, discussing how coronavirus has affected not only the animals at the zoo and the aquariums, but the people who work at these fine institutions, too. Well, for more information about the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, visit aza.org. Blue bees? I've never heard of them, but Dr. Fleck and I will learn about them on this show with Dr. Chase Kimmel. Stick around. You don't want to miss this discussion. listening to the pet buzz with pet trendologist charlotte reed and veterinarian dr michael fleck we love to communicate with you via social media use the pet buzz social media channels on twitter and facebook to make a comment or ask a question post a picture of your pet on instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality you can also write to us at team at the for more information about our show our guests and our buzzworthy freebies visit us at the They call me Prince like I'm royalty or something. But the places I've lived ain't no palaces. So I don't need grilled salmon or a new scratching post. Just give me a cardboard box and a can of tuna and we're good. You can even change my name. I'm cool being the kitty formerly known as Prince. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. 
That's epi-pet.com. Thank you so much for joining the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Pet Dynamic Duo. I'm pet chondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, have you guys signed up for the newsletter at newsletter at thepetbuzz.com? We want to continue bringing you more Pet Buzz to you and your four-legged members. So sign up now so you can keep in contact with Dr. Fleck and myself and what we're up to. Let's move on with Celebrity Pet News. You know, we always talk about dogs on this show, so now we got to give some equal time to cats. I'm just going to review a few of the cat-loving celebrities who continue to inspire and delight us with their furry companions. So let's talk Taylor Swift. Having recently starred in the big screen adaptation of Cats, it's safe to say that Taylor Swift is a big fan of felines in general. Her two most famous companions are Meredith Grey and Olivia Benson, are both named after famous TV characters, but recently Swift has added a third cat to the pack, a furry little friend named Benjamin Button. The singer is well known for her panache of taking pictures with her cats and then posting them on social media, often in hilarious poses. The cuteness factor is amplified by the fact that her two most iconic cats are Scottish Foals, while her newest addition is a delightful rag doll. Okay, so let's talk about Katy Perry. Often considered to be Katy Perry's mascot of sorts, the aptly named Kitty Perry first appeared in the singer's video for the hit single, I Kissed a Girl. Since then, she's often been photographed by Katy's side with fans continuously speculating about her genealogy. From the looks of it, Kitty may be at least part Maine Coon, a breed famous for its large size and puppy-like personality. It's sad to say that we reported not such a long time ago that Kitty Perry passed away. Okay, James Franco. James Franco's literary affections have extended to his cats as well. His two most iconic companions were both named after book characters, with Sammy taken from What Makes Sammy Run and Zelda being a homage to F. Scott Fitzgerald's famous muse. It seems that Franco has devoted an entire room in his home to his furry companions, ensuring that both Sammy and Zelda will live happy and healthy lives for years to come. Okay, last but not least, let's talk about that beautiful Spanish actress, Penelope Cruz. She's known on stage for portraying volatile woman on screen, even winning an Oscar for her supporting role in Vicky Cristina Barcelona back in 2008. But in her off-screen life, she has a soft spot for furry friends, as Penelope tells it. Her early years in Hollywood were quite lonely, so she had to keep in... She had to take in plenty of strays to keep her company. So what about you? What's your favorite feline companion like? Post a picture on the Pet Buzz social media channels and use the hashtag possum. Okay, and now what you've been waiting for, Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. you got the time. Dr. Fleck, what are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about ear hematomas. You do a lot of those ear hematomas. I do. Too many. What is an ear hematoma? An ear hematoma is blood collected under the skin of a dog's ear flap. 
They can occur in cats, but it is more common in dogs. Okay, because I've never seen you do uh, canine. I've seen you do canine hematomas, but I've never seen you do the feline hematomas. I'd say maybe 10% of the ear hematomas are in cats. Okay, so what causes these hematomas? The tissue of the ear flap is very thin. The ear is, if the ear is injured, blood vessels that are cushionless in the ear flap will break, and that'll fill the area between the ear cartilage and the skin with blood. This causes the ear to swell. The swelling can occur very quickly within minutes of the blood vessel breaking. Now, I understand allergies, ear mites, ear infections, bites can really contribute to ear hematomas too. Is that correct? Yeah, itching is a big culprit, but usually the ear hematoma is a result of just trauma to the ear, which is often self-caused through scratching or shaking of the head. Okay, great. So, go you, ahead. You want some more? Yeah, give me some Let's more. Let's give, give you some more. Give me some. We Slap said, your mama good. Okay. So, the allergies, <laughs> ear mites, ear infections, bites to the area or something stuck in the ear, which isn't very common, but, but those kinds of conditions are commonly found along with a ear hematoma. Okay, so what should you look for? What should you suspect if you think your dog has an ear hematoma? It's pretty obvious. You'll see the huge swelling of the ear flap. Um, it's thick it's, when you touch it. It Well, it's, it's, it's kind of thick. It's, it's thick, but it feels like fluid inside. Yeah. Like you're feeling a balloon. Uh-huh. So, and it may be painful or it may not be painful uh, to the touch. So are they serious? I mean, should you panic if your dog has one? Well, let's leave it this way. Hematomas are a medical condition with pain or discomfort and potentially a serious infection may be present. So yes, it may require veterinary attention. Okay, so what's the proper treatment for one? The best way for treatment, of course, is at the veterinary office. Uh huh. Surgical repair is the primary treatment approach. And surgical techniques will vary from veterinary office to veterinary okay, office. Okay, but I have a question. Is this a minor treatment or a major treatment? Well, let's just say it involves a surgical repair. So sometimes that can be minor. Sometimes that may be considered serious. Consider that the blood in, in the, that, that is in the hematoma acts as a culture media for bacteria. So it could develop into something more serious, like being an abscess. Okay, or do you have to be put under? Does your dog have to be put under for one? The pet is generally put under general anesthetic. Okay. Not just sedation, but general anesthetic. Okay. And it involves an incision to drain the blood from the ear. Okay. The skin is then sutured to the underlying cartilage, which then will help prevent any further hemorrhaging. Okay. The vet will also treat the pet. For any of those underlying conditions, such as we've already mentioned. Like ear mites, infections, or clogged ear canals. Okay. So, are there certain breeds that are greater risk for ear dog ear hematomas? Oh, yeah. The dogs with the floppy ears that hang down are a great risk for hematomas. Okay. When they shake their heads, the ears go along for the ride, which that can really cause trauma and cause the blood vessels to break. Okay. Labradors, Golden Retrievers, Dalmatians, Beagles, Basset Hounds, and Cocker Spaniels, all floppy-eared dogs, right, are a few of the droopy-eared breeds prone to this condition. Additionally, dogs who have frequent ear infections 
or other chronic ear problems are also at a high risk. But really, any dog can develop a hematoma, or a cat can develop the hematoma. Right. For example, ear mites can cause a hematoma or present the conditions that a hematoma can come about. Because the dog's always scratching. Because he's scratching or shaking the head. Okay. So anyway, Dr. Fleck, what's the best way to prevent a hematoma? The best way to prevent your four-legged friend from developing a dog or cat ear hematoma is to just monitor its health. When the when conducting the canine weekly or bimonthly cleanings, make sure you check the ears for discharge or debris. And if you have your dog checked out, if it scratches or is shaking its head, as frequently as that would happen with your veterinarian. Okay, great. Anything else, Dr. Fleck? That's all the Flex facts for the week. Okay, great. We'll stick around. More of the pet buzz very soon. Bet you can't wait for my I Like Ye of the Week. I want to be a contender. I want a warm belly to sleep on. A big house. How do I look? Do, do I look good? I want to play hard. My nails done once a month. I want. I want. I want a home. I just want a home. I want someone to love. Last year, more than 30,000 companion animals came to us without homes. 20,000 of them were felines. Let's make some homes. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. Well, I want to start out by talking about my I likey of the week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. So for my likey of the week, I want to start out by telling my friend Jeff from Pet Gear. Thank you so much. He gifted me a while back with a Pet Gear no-zip expedition pet stroller it's got so many great features i have to tell you it's like the cadillac of pet strollers and i like to take my older dogs ty and thames in it because they don't walk so well these days and i have this walking neighborhood now so it's actually kind of nice so it's the largest stroller offering a spacious and comfortable ride for both single like thames my oldest, and when I have multiple pets, the whole crew, Hammy, Marl, Wally, Ty, and Thames, and it features two easy locking doors. So pets can be loaded from the top, either the front or the back of the stroller. Um, and it's just, it's just great. It's really comfortable. It's got like nice cushion in the bottom. It's really a huge benefit, especially if you have a large or an injured pet, like my golden retriever, Hannah. 
And it's nice because if they still want to get out and be stimulated, you could put your pet inside and stroll them around the neighborhood or the park. And really, no zippers mean no hassle when trying to open and close the stroller. The new no-zip technology means that you can easily gain access to your pet without fumbling and having to deal with difficult zippers. It's got actually added multi-position handle, which means it's a lot more comfortable when you are pushing the stroller. So, and it's big. It's definitely big to put all your pets in. So thanks, Pet Gear. To learn more about that, check out PetGearInc.com. So not such a long time ago, we interviewed Jim Tedford from the Association for Animal Welfare Advancement. You know, during the interview, he talked about how he hoped the clearing of the shelters at the beginning of the pandemic, how it resulted in foster pets finding forever homes. He hoped But this next guest and her dog, well, their story demonstrates that a dog knows his or her forever home once he finds it. So joining us today to talk about how her foster dog spent 97 days on the road making her way back to this Minnesota home, the home of Seneca Kruger, a marriage and family therapist. Seneca, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thanks for having me, Charlotte. I'm glad you're here with us. When I read about your story, I was like, I got to get this gal on the show. So before we get started, before we hear your story, review the benefits of having a foster dog. Sure. So fostering is a really great way to decide if you're ready to bring an animal into your home permanently. Most rescues will cover the cost of vetting, food, supplies, they'll provide resources, training, education. So it's a really great way to, um, to sort of jump into the dog or cat world. And also, if you fall in love with your foster, you get the first chance at adoption. So fostering doesn't necessarily mean you love them and give them away. Sometimes you get to love them and keep them. Well, the hero of your story, I should say the heroine of your story is Zelda, your foster dog, who is now your permanent dog. Tell us a little bit about Zelda and how you came to foster. Like, what's your relation? What was your relationship like when she first came to your home? Yeah, sure. So Zelda was already in the rescue program um, and she was with another foster family and the rescue reached out and said Zelda was not making any progress in the couple months that she had been with the foster family. She was really shut down and really fearful. And I really love working with shut down and fearful dogs. They're sort of my favorite. So I said, hey, I'll take her. So I took Zelda in and worked with her for about seven months. It took her probably two months to wag her tail for the first time, four months before she started barking um, or making a noise at all. So she really was probably the most fearful and shut down dog, um, anxious dog I've ever had in my home. Interesting. So I know when we had talked, when we prepped for this interview, you told me Zelda had lived with you for about seven months. And when she left for her new foster family, how'd you feel? Um, So usually when I send a dog away, um, I'm really happy for them, I get to find these wonderful homes, and I get to pick which homes they go to. So I review the family um, and make sure it's a nice placement for the dog. And then, um, and then I get really happy when I drive away because because there they are. They they've sort of completed their mission and found their family. With Zelda, it didn't feel like that. Um, I dropped Zelda off at her new home and drove away and pulled over to the side of the road because I couldn't see through my tears. Um, and I cried for the next three days. I felt like my dog like I had given my dog away, like I had betrayed her somehow. 
you you felt like you made a mistake. I did. I felt like I I convinced her to trust one person in the entire world, and then when she did that, I sent her away. Both of you. I want to say you poor thing, but it's really both of you at that time. Okay. Yeah. So you play Zelda, and then you heard she ran away from the new family. After how many days? Uh, I think it was 10 days. You know, the family was beautiful. She became um, the dog for a 10-year-old boy um, who was really excited to take her out and walk her. And I think Zelda just had other plans. <laughs> she had other plans, all right. <laughs> she was spotted, what, a few months later, um, within a few miles of your place of residence? She was. So she made the long journey from Chanhassen, Minnesota, to South Minneapolis in the course of about seven weeks. And then a few weeks later, was spotted just a few blocks from my home. Now, for those of you who don't know that distance... It's a 45-minute drive. Zelda was on the road for how many days? 97? 97 days. Yeah, she had to cross the Mississippi River. She had to and And this was in the wintertime. Yes. So some of the temperatures were getting, you know, negative 20, negative 30 below zero in some of those days in February. And those were the days that I was out searching all day long because I was most worried about her um, being out in the cold. So those were really long days for me also in the negative 20, negative 30 degrees. I can only imagine. I have to tell you, I was in Minnesota like December 23rd, about two or three years ago, doing the Fox morning show. And I have to tell you, it was so cold. I was only there for 24 hours. My dog didn't go to the bathroom. I tried, kept walking him and walking him. I woke him up early in the morning. But let's get back to Zelda. But I know what it's like. I know how cold it is there. And it was, yeah. it was, it was freezing. So poor Zelda is out trying to get back to you after a small period, 10 days with this family. How'd you finally get her back? A lot of searching, a lot of um, talking to people, neighbors, flyering. Eventually, a family got a hold of me and said that they had been feeding a stray dog that looked a lot like Zelda at their home. So I was working with a search and rescue team, a dog search and rescue team. And they came out and set up a live trap. And so 4.34 in the morning, we got the call. She went in the trap. And um, I went out and didn't recognize her. I thought it was a different dog. She was tiny, and she had changed color. Wow. So we read the chip. The, they ran the chip scanner over her and read the chip number off to me as I looked at her chip number. And it was her. And I just... I fell to my knees and I cried because what else do you do when you're faced with a miracle? I'm getting choked up here. Yeah, I was absolutely overcome with gratitude. That is just crazy. 97 days. And I mean, how do you feel? I mean, here's this dog, 97 days on the road trying to get home to you. That It's love. It just absolutely was. She was as bad as I was and needed to be back. Well, Seneca, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Charlotte. Yeah, we're glad that you're here. Well, what do you guys think of Zelda and Seneca's story? I'm curious what you think. Have you ever fostered a special dog or a cat that you were giving up? Let us know. Tweet us, write a Facebook post, or send us an email. We always want to hear from you at the Pet Buzz. You know, one of the things I I want to incorporate more into the show is some of these public interest stories because... You know, they, as I'm sitting here, I have tears in my eyes because, you know, imagine that dog 
97 days on the road during the winter months trying to get home. But up next, I want to talk about a confrontation of an unleashed dog that changed a dog owner's life. This is a New York story that everybody is talking about. They're talking about it on CNN. They're talking about it on Fox News. It's all in global pet news right here on the Pet Buzz. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. I'm petrinologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. And now, pet buzz news from around the globe. With binoculars around his neck, Christian Cooper, an avid bird watcher, was in Central Park on Memorial Day. That's when Mr. Cooper, who is black, asked a white woman to put her dog on a leash. When she did not, he began filming. In response, the woman said she would tell the police that an African-American man is threatening her life before dialing 911. Well, on Tuesday, that video went viral on Twitter and garnered over 40 million views, setting off a painful discourse about the history of dangerous false accusations against black people made to the police after she refused to tether her dog on memorial day mr cooper said he attempted to lure the dog with dog treats to induce her to restrain her pet in a statement miss cooper said she had misread his intent she said she reacted emotionally and made false assumptions about his intentions when in fact she was the one who was acting inappropriately by not having her dog on a leash in the video, you could see, which is really painful, you could see Ms. Cooper dragging and choking her dog while calling the police, while talking to that information officer. By the end of the day, the woman, Amy Cooper, now notice Amy and Christian Cooper, they're not related, had surrendered her dog and had been fired from her high-level finance job. On Wednesday, the New York City Commission on Human Rights began an investigation into Ms. Cooper's actions. You know, all of this pain and hurt and comments could have been avoided if you just had her dog on a leash. So many times we see these signs that say, keep your dog on a leash. There's a reason for that. It avoids canine problems and it avoids conflict with other individuals. So I'm asking you, when you go to the dog park, when you go to your local park to walk your dog or on the street, 
keep your dog on a leash. This discussion has added to the racism conversation of 2020 at a time when we need to unite and we need to focus on health issues. So, hey, what's the buzz? Scientists have found a rare Florida blue bee last spotted, believe it or not, Dr. Fleck, in 2016. So intriguing. I know. It's blue. Is it light blue? Is it dark blue? Is it metallic blue? Well, we're going to find out. I think we're going to find out, aren't Mm -hmm. we? And joining us today to talk about his search and find of the Florida blue bee is Chase Kimmel, a postdoctoral candidate at the University of Florida and former beekeeper. Chase, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Are you related to Jimmy Kimmel? That's a really good question. Unfortunately, I do not know, but I will not rule out that possibility. (laughs) Okay. Well, we just had to know. Why are you searching for this rare blue bee? Well, we are trying to determine the distribution, ecology, and habitat requirements of this specific bee. It's funded through a state wildlife grant from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. And this bee is actually very rare, and we know very little about its biology. So we're trying to build upon what previous researchers have done down here at Archbold Biological Station and answer some of these really important questions that other people just have not looked at. So then can you describe how it is different from other indigenous Florida bees? Sure. So this specific bee... Um, it is unique in that it is blue, but I should clarify that there are other blue bees in Florida. There are actually 140 different species of <laughs> bees in the genus Osmia in North America alone. And many of these are blue, but there are also other colors as well. So there are other blue bees in Florida. But what makes this bee very unique is, one, its behavior, and two, how it actually collects pollen on its face. So it surprisingly will collect It'll go up to a flower and rub its head on the flower two to four times, and it collects pollen on its face where we think that those modified hairs are for collecting pollen. Um, However, we haven't fully uh, investigated a lot, and that was suspected in 2011 whenever it was first described. But what really makes it unique is that then after a while, it keeps that pollen on its face, but then it transfers it down to its abdomen. And so it has this very unique behavior and this very unique uh, way in which it actually forages. Wow. If you've just joined us, we're talking to Dr. Chase Kimmel about Florida bluebees. So where yeah. do you find this rare Kalamintha bee or blue bee? And what's so unique about the region that it lives in in the state of Florida? So this region where it's found is, is part of the Lake Wales Ridge. And the Lake Wales Ridge is an old historic sand dune running through central Florida. So it already is, is, it's endemic to Florida. It's already restricted because it's only found in this habitat. And um, historically, we have utilized this habitat for a lot of agriculture and urban development. So you've already got a habitat that's pretty limited, and then you've got a lot of human pressures on it that then further reduces the amount of habitat. So the amount of scrub habitat along the Lake Wales Ridge is much less than it used to be. And so it, it suffers from habitat loss and habitat fragmentation. But um, it is a very unique ecosystem, and it's also unique because it uh, is only known to go to one host plant. Fortunately, we've actually found it on another plant, but we're waiting to look at confirm from the pollen samples that it is foraging on other plants. But 
it's still a, a very rare bee that, that has a very selective foraging behavior from what we have uh, seen so far. So how can we as society prevent this beautiful bee from extinction and contribute to increasing its numbers? That's one of the questions we're going to try to find out. Ah, <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. with this bee being so new, uh, it was first described just nine years ago. And so the last time it was actually seen was in 2016. They, there was an observational study over 18 hours to look for it. But there's not really been a comprehensive survey done. And so we're trying to answer some of these questions of what is it, what does it prefer? What does it go to? What does a nest look like? No one's actually ever even found a nest. And so if we can try to understand what maybe some of the limiting factors that might cause, uh, its numbers to be, uh, low, uh, maybe we can actually augment it and, and help it to survive. But right now we're still in this very initial phase of trying to learn more about it and build upon what other researchers uh, have done down here at Archbold. You know, I, I, I'm so glad that you came here because I really want our listening audience to understand, and, and maybe you can just answer this question, why bees are so important and why even more now it's important to protect them yeah. um, when we have uh, chemicals and even killer wasps. Hornets. Hornets. Murder hornets. Well, Fortunately, the, the, we don't have murder hornets down here in Florida. I, I'm not sure about their future range, but um, we these are very, very important. Most of the food that we actually eat is pollinated by bees, whether that be honeybees or native bees. And so they are definitely important for a lot of the foods we eat. And even if, if say, you eat meat, they, they the food that you eat eats food that's pollinated by a bee. And so... They are very important for us as food. At the same time, uh, say along the Lake Wells Ridge in this area, they're also very important to pollinate a lot of the plants that are endangered or threatened or even other plants and wildlife that serve as food for other wildlife. So they are a key portion of the ecosystem that many plants have evolved with to create these symbiotic relationships and to get a benefit from pollination success of these little insects. So intriguing. It really is. It is. Well, soon to be, Dr. Kimmel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Pet Buzz. All right. Thank you very much. Well, everyone, that was Chase Kimmel, researcher from the University of Florida, talking about his search for Florida blue bees. <laughs> okay, everybody, that's a wrap. It's a wrap. It's always too soon to end the show. But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. Next week, we're going to talk about adopting cats in the month of June and cat health issues. You know, we don't talk about cats enough. So I really want to focus on some on some catitude. You know, special thanks to our guests, Dan Ash, Seneca Kruger, and Chase Kemmel. And of course, we must always thank our sponsor, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Now, if you have a question, write to us at team at the petbuzz.com and we'll cover it in next week's show. And if you missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. But remember... Most importantly, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. 
The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.